You're listening to Rethinking Sustainability. Thoughts, ideas, inspirations for a livable future. Nature, tooth and claw, that's how we live. The strong prevail and the weak step aside. At least that's what you'd believe if you followed neoliberal thinking and people like Anne Rand. The world is a cruel competitive place. But what then about cooperation? Where does that fit in? These are the thoughts of Andrew Skiok as he travels the world, recording the extraordinary sounds that birds make. Why do they put so much effort into that? Well, they're not doing it for your benefit, but as you'll hear, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy their beauty and learn something from what they have to say. Life has existed on this planet for possibly over three billion years. In that time, it has endured major shifts in climate, global-scale tectonic and volcanic events, and even the impact of rogue asteroids. Despite all this, life has adapted and persisted. Nature is the epitome of a sustainable process, an infinite game. And you'd have to suspect that over this time, nature has learned a trick or two. As we confront the future unsustainability of human affairs, we can look to nature for ideas. Because nature solved this problem, not once or twice, but billions of times. Every species and the emergent ecosystems they generate embody solutions to the challenges we face in creating the safe, healthy and sustainable conditions for living. On a physical level, that Earth systems generate no waste, everything being recycled, is fundamental to sustainability. The climate crisis we are precipitating is essentially a pollution crisis. Our burning of fossil fuels, generating atmospheric waste emissions at a rate that our planet cannot absorb. But physical mechanisms that support sustainability are complemented by less tangible processes. And the one that has preoccupied me is communication. As a nature sound recordist, I've had the opportunity of travelling to wild places around the world to document natural soundscapes. Acoustic vibration is one of the most important mediums for species to communicate, and hence sound tells us much about how creatures negotiate their interactions. And contrary to the narrative of essential competition, what I hear are communicative networks, ritualised vocalisation behaviours, and cooperative processes both within and between species. These patterns of communication are ubiquitous. I hear them everywhere, from rainforests to deserts to the tundra, among birds, insects, frogs and animal communities, telling me that they are essential not just to the survival of individual creatures, but to the functioning of all ecosystems. I'd like to tell you a little about one of these acoustic phenomena, one heard all around the world and familiar to many of us, the avian dawn chorus. At dawn, the air is often still and the coolest it will be throughout the whole day. These conditions are perfect for transmitting sound the greatest distance with clarity. In the twilight well before sunrise, from shrubs and song perches, birds begin singing.
This mass of twittering is heard primarily from songbirds, which suggests its purpose is to facilitate the attraction and bonding of mates and to define and maintain foraging and breeding home ranges. If so, then the dawn chorus can be understood as an emergent cooperation amongst songbirds to share a collective resource, the acoustic space, the airwaves, at the optimal time of day. But there are other characteristics that indicate it is special. Songbirds often vocalise in ways unique in the dawn chorus and not heard at other times of day. One capacity of songbirds that enables these specialised behaviours is that unlike non-songbird species, songbirds have to learn their songs as young birds from parents or possibly continuing to mature birds learning from their community. One possibility arising from this is that species may exhibit regional dialects across the country. These are white-plumed honeyeaters, a species found widely in drier habitats around Australia, and they were recorded in far western New South Wales. But around 400 kilometres west of that, in inland South Australia, the white plume's song phrase is subtly but noticeably different. And another 400 kilometres further inland again, they sound like this. Meanwhile, over 1,500 kilometres east and closer to the coast, in the dry woodlands of southeast Queensland, these are the white plumes' dawn song phrases. You can hear that each region has its own song phrase, recognisably different to our ear, and this must be even more so for the birds who have to learn to accurately reproduce their local song phrase. And as these honey eaters live in loose aggregations, their song can be understood as embodying a shared identity. Thus, by singing at dawn with a common repertoire, I hear them as affirming their belonging within a community, with benefits ranging from the safety of knowing who your neighbours are to maintaining group integrity among members of a semi-nomadic species. But these simple and pretty honey-eater songs have another uniqueness. They are only heard in the dawn chorus. This particular song phrase of the white-plumed honey-eater is the bird's pre-dawn repertoire, and it's very rarely, if at all, to be heard throughout the remainder of the day when white plumes give a variety of chipping contact calls to each other as they forage in the eucalypt canopy. A 
Another song behaviour heard uniquely at dawn is a process termed countersinging. This is when two or more birds of the same kind alternate their calls, bouncing them back and forth antiphonally in a kind of call and response, minimising the overlap between vocalising and not singing over each other. By doing this, I sense them listening to their neighbours as much as singing, engaging in a process of recognition, acknowledging other birds while defining their own space. Once again, honeyeaters provide a wonderful example of this. Here are a pair of white-eared honeyeaters, presumably on adjacent home ranges, alternating their calls clearly. Incidentally, this species displays another aspect of dawn repertoire specialisation because this is the white ears breeding season song. However, they will sing at dawn throughout the year, even in cooler months when not many birds sing at all. And when they do, their singing is somewhat sporadic. It's devoid of counter singing and nowhere near as sustained as during the spring and summer. Most intriguingly though, they will utilise any other aspect of their repertoire except their breeding song phrase. Counter singing can become extraordinarily sophisticated. And yet another inland honeyeater species displays this in spectacular fashion. White-fronted honeyeaters have a huge and varied vocabulary, comprising what sounds to me like a collection of mechanical and percussive sound effects. Birds on adjoining home ranges will fire these song elements rapidly back and forth with each other, forming a synchronised duet of bewitching complexity, which may continue for nearly an hour. I've highlighted the song behaviour of only a handful of species in one particular family, the Australian honeyeaters. But specialised dawn singing behaviours are found among songbirds the world over. In Africa, I've equally found forms of duetting and collaborative singing to be common. In northern bioregions, birdsong may be more individualistic and virtuosic, as with various members of the thrush family, European robins, thrashers, mockingbirds and the nightingales. But even here, rather than a competition to outdo rivals, spectacular singing can be interpreted as a response to a constrained breeding season 
and the needs of establishing a home range and pair bond quickly and efficiently. All these characteristics of the Dawn Chorus unique repertoires, regional dialects, countersinging, virtuosic displays tell us that the Dawn Chorus has evolved to fulfil a multi-dimensional purpose. It's not only to facilitate breeding or define a living space, but to do so in a way that minimises or avoids altogether the costs of more competitive interactions. It's a matter of efficiency. Aggression is wasteful, it's risky, and it may only achieve short-term benefits. Dawn birdsong is far from the only example of this. Similar behaviours are found in very different expressions throughout the animal kingdom. Among mammals, they may take the form of physical interactions to define status. These may appear to be fights, but are actually the opposite, allowing animals to contend for access to resources while minimising the chance of serious physical harm. These formalised behaviours are termed by biologists agonistic, the opposite of antagonistic. They are ways of interacting that are baked into a species' DNA and can only be so widespread because natural selection has proved them to be beneficial. I hear the phenomenon of the Dawn Chorus as a sophisticated communicative ritual for agonistic purposes. It unites the songbird world in one of the most wondrous and aesthetically pleasing sonic happenings in nature. It tells us that natural selection does not preference competitive behaviours. Instead, finding cooperation and mutual accommodation are more sustainable and efficient ways of living. As much of our human world is predicated on the virtues of competition, I believe it is a lesson we would do well to learn. And it is a lesson we can enjoy being reminded of every morning as songbirds give voice to greet the new day. Andrew Skiog. And hearing what Andrew was saying just now should alert us to the fact that one of the prime reasons humans are spread across the planet is our ability to cooperate. And now to have any hope of averting the crisis facing our civilization, we need to learn from nature. Andrew is author of the beautiful book Listening to Nature, and you'll find links on his website listeningearth.com. I'll leave you with some of the wonderful bird songs that Andrew has recorded.
You've been listening to Rethinking Sustainability. And if you'd like to contribute to this series, get in touch with me, Rod, at taylorm2000 at zoho.com.